Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. That does mean slow down because this is the mystery of parenthood and we're uh, so happy you're here with us. We ask that you might take a moment and uh, listen and um, hopefully we'll have something great to say here. Uh, But let's begin with our prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life through your son, Jesus Christ, born of woman and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity. Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Hey, so yeah, we... um, Thaddeus is here with me in the house. Trey Cashin, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Uh, we um, Thaddeus had pointed out that there was a there was an apostolic exhortation that was um, written. It looks like two years ago, roughly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, by uh, Bishop Thomas Olmstead of the Bishop of Phoenix, and we thought it was really something that we could dig into, and we're going to try to break it down. There's several chapters or sections and mm-hmm. we're going to focus on the introduction because I think it kind of gives us a good framework from which we can go forward on it but but I think it it points out a few really good things and and the thing I like about it is for those who've been listening and even for those who who haven't um we've always tried to make this show it's called the mystery of parenting because there's an intersection between what we believe the invisible realities that are that we're a part of and the everyday life, the concrete, what unfolds in our lives. And I think this introduction does a really good job of at least beginning to draw that out um, of us as we think about it. We were talking before the show, and it, it does seem evident that he's challenging husbands and wives. It's, it's, it's an exhortation, obviously, to the— so it's it's to the husbands and wives, mothers and fathers of the diocese of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's um, called "Complete My Joy." Complete my joy, which which comes from, and I, I think that's probably a good place to start. I mean, if you can start anywhere with scripture, he he quotes from Philippians, and I think it, it honestly is kind of a manifesto <laughs> of what of what. Okay. Family life is meant to be like. So if you yeah. listen to St. Paul, I mean, I'll just read it. I don't think it'll take too long, but so it's Philippians Philippians 1:27 through 2:2. 2, 2. Okay. Um for you good Catholics, get your Bibles out and uh do it. If you're driving, just find it later. Uh, but listen, but I do think that and this Philippians can, is in the Old Testament, ca- <laughs> right? No, I'm just, we're just, just we corrected that. Catholic jokes, we, we, there, guys. We, Catholic jokes. We, we corrected that in the catechism. <laughs> but uh, anyway, St. Paul says, uh, Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation, and this is God's doing. For he has graciously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for him as well, 
since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If, then, there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And, and so there's a – I'm an English teacher here, so there's a there is a – he says, make my joy complete, which is highlighted because that's what he's choosing is the title of this. And then there's a colon, which is effectively saying, how do you make my joy complete? Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's wow, basically that, that a summary. That like an amazing family life if we could achieve right. that. And in the summary, it's, that's a summary <laughs> of... What has just proceeded in those? That last line basically points us all back to what is that? What is that look? And it starts with live your life. That's the beginning. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What that means is, is that faith is more than just saying that we believe in something. And again, this is pointing back to that intersection that we we've always tried to challenge people and challenge ourselves as as married couple to say that. Our faith is something that is meant to be implemented, is meant to have an impact on the decisions that we make and what we, how we choose to act, <laughs> all those type of things. So to be a Christian is not merely to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It is certainly that, to trust that he, in his dying, his passion, death, and resurrection— that he has purchased for us salvation, but we're still called to live a life. We're on this planet for a purpose. And, and I think that that purpose is to make God manifest, to have people begin to see God's presence in and through our family lives, in and through ourselves. And so... This opening chapter, this introduction to this um, apostolic exhortation is, um, I think, pointing us in the direction that we are called to understand our faith um, and then live it out. So it, what's interesting is this. So I th I, there's, a, there's a line in here because faith is often— my good professor, Douglas Bushman, pointed out, and it's always stuck in my head, that when we talk about faith, there there's two types of—two ways to understand faith. Faith, subjective faith, is I trust God. I trust what He's revealed in and through His Son. I trust that He has a plan. I trust all those type of things. But also— Faith has an objective part to it, which is actually what is the truth? I mean, Jesus is the truth, but what does that mean for me today as I prepare for this show, as I head home to go do whatever it is that I need to do as a dad? And both of those have to be put together. We, but we have to trust that God has a plan, but then we have to do our best to try to un, to understand what he's revealed about it, and then how does that apply in my life today? And I think Bishop Olmsted does a really good job of this. And it's if we can, in our families and then as Catholic Christian families, become of one mind, understanding what God's plan is for marriage and for family life and for spouses and for fathers and mothers, then we can go out and we complete his joy. Um, Jesus says, even in his last words, he said that my joy may be complete. I mean, he, he wants that and he wants your joy to be complete. And it's in living out this mission. Right. And he, right at the very beginning, he just hits it out of the park with a great line, which is a countercultural. Yeah. counterintuitive way that we complete God's joy. We complete Christ's joy. He says, quote, family is likely where we feel the deepest joys as well as the deepest pain. 
This is because of the deep love that comes with family. Now, yes, he may be writing that in part to say that there are many, many people who have family situations that are dysfunctional or they're broken or they're imperfect. We all know that to some extent, but I don't think that's really what he's getting at. And we talked for quite a while before starting the show about what he's really going for here. What, what, well, what I just do you think, think he's going for? There? Well, I just, I, I think that, that. I, 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 you know, I, when I do marriage prep and when I would go talk to people, one of the things that I think is not said enough is when pain is experienced, whether it's passive, meaning something happens to you that's outside of your control as a couple or as an individual, or whether it's self-inflicted, we can be certain if we're living as human beings in a relationship that there is going to be pain. There is going to be suffering. That suffering and pain are not signs that we weren't meant to be together. They're not signs that we were, that something's wrong. Well, it may be signs that there it could be that something's wrong, but lots of times there are, I mean, for example, I mean, there are people have done nothing wrong and we're sitting here in, in a crisis with a, with a pandemic and people losing jobs and where's the next paycheck going to come? That's a passive suffering to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in, in specifically that any of us necessarily did to cause that problem, but we're living in it. Mm-hmm. That's a natural part of the way that we as humans must accept. And even in families that are full of love and full of everything that you would hope it would be, even in a, in a perfect there's no such thing as that, but even in in the best of families, mm-hmm. there should be no expectation that there that that life somehow, if we do everything right, then everything's going to work out, and we'll never experience loss. We'll, we'll never fu- experience unfaithfulness. We'll never experience burdens that we're not sure how we're going to overcome. Right. And I don't think that's said enough. To, I, I was on just the front end. speaking with a couple of students downstairs, and. The way that we come to apprehend and comprehend and gain new knowledge, how we expand our circle of known, is uncomfortable. Learning is uncomfortable as we struggle to understand a concept more deeply or to grasp a a new concept. You can say the same thing about pain, discomfort, suffering in athletics or physical health. So pain in and of itself is not bad. And often it is a sign of growth and, and uh, deepening of, um, but more, yeah, any, any type of suffering should be viewed as number one. He he makes it saying this is God's doing. He doesn't, he's not specific, specifically saying that suffering is in this reading of this. However, it's important as Catholics, as Christians, to trust that when pain comes, that there is meaning to it, that there is something that we can gain from it, even if it's passive. So when sometimes suffering occurs because somebody's done something that they shouldn't have done, and or so you can inflict it on yourself or even on your family by choices that you make. Right. Well, that pain is a call to conversion to a certain extent. It's a, it's a call to, okay, I need, this needs to be addressed as best we can, and we need to try to heal from it. The answer is not to run from it, not to hide from it. It's to say, okay, here it is. It hurts. What, do we need, what, what can we do now? And re- recognize that God allowed it to happen in order to point that out. Other times, it can be completely passive nothing nothing you did <laughs> caused it but it's being allowed as christians we have the greatest sign of what we that's why we as catholics have crucifixes with the corpus on the cross to to point us to to the fact that 
if he's the way, the truth, and the life, at least part of our life, if we are following him, is going to go right through Good Friday. It's going to go right through a cross. And that's like we were talking before. It's part of living in a fallen world. It's part of um, being human. <laughs> People hurt each other. Um, things happen. We are not in heaven. So it, it, at least it points us to the fact that we're not in heaven. <laughs> we're, we're on a journey. We are sojourners. We're, we are aliens to a certain extent, meant for somewhere else, but we're here and it's, it's become evident in that. So it could be a change. The other side of it is, is, and this is good, we've talked about this before, no suffering if born within the, the light of faith that says none of this is a surprise to God and he is permitting whatever is happening to us as individuals, as a couple, as a family, as a community, whatever, in order that we can somehow suffer with him. You know, Colossians one twenty four should be something that every Catholic knows because I, I I rejoice in my sufferings because I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, what's lacking? I mean, he he's allowing us to experience what he experienced because because while none of us can claim that we maybe don't deserve some of what's coming our way, he certainly could have lived a sinful sinless life had no nothing about what he had said, done, deserved what he got, yet he offers himself for the sake of us and as an offering to the Father, he he bore that. And so to some extent, we're not yet hanging on crosses, but uh, <laughs> but we should recognize in those sufferings, small or great, those opportunities to unite ourselves with that. That's that's what the morning offering's for. The morning offering, uniting ourselves to the perfect sacrifice of Christ on the cross and offering for the sake of his church, his body, for what, however he wants to use it, our sufferings together with his to the Father, which is perfectly done in and through the Mass— Right? I mean, that's, that's where we bring that. We bring that to the Mass. We offer it to the Father in union with the Son, and then it becomes meaningful. Even if we can't see meaning, that's part of, the, that's part of what, mean, what the faith calls us to do. Faith, in the subjective sense, is trusting that the God who has revealed himself as a God of love has allowed this and it's for a purpose. And even if we can't understand it, even if we can't see the value of it, we are in faith meant to say, okay, well, I'm going to unite mine, even if I feel like it's not something I deserve, with the one who certainly didn't deserve it. <laughs> And his offering, because he's opened that up. That's the only way that Paul can say, I rejoice in my sufferings, for I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. That is central to what we believe, that there is no suffering, self-inflicted or passive, that, that, that is not capable of having meaning. And sometimes embracing it and just even not understanding it. I, I go back to Mary at the foot of the cross. I'm not sure theologically, but certainly <laughs> she, you know, John Paul writes in Redemptor, Mater Redemptor, the mother of God, talking about the mother of God. She, he talks about that, that even at l looking at the antithesis of what was expected of the Messiah, sitting at the foot of the cross, seeing what by all human accounts would say the end, utter failure, she still sat there and embraced it. And that is our example for us to trust that God is going to do this. And that's the struggle for every family, for every marriage. 
is don't quit. Don't ever give up. No matter how bad it gets, for whatever reason, hang on. Because if we can hang on together, being of the same accord, being of one mind, this mind that God is directing through this and this is happening, and that there will be a resurrection Sunday somewhere down the road that is on the other side of this cross that we're bearing in our lives, that if we hang on, we will experience the other side of that cross. And that's a figurative of what is our ultimate hope, which is we're all going to die someday and we're meant to get to heaven. But that happens multiple times in our life as a married couple, as a family, as an individual, where we're going to have a cross. We may feel like we're at the verge of death. It may look desperate. But if we hang on, keep trusting, I trust in you. That's why Jesus, I trust in you is a simple, powerful prayer that even if you're not sure you believe it completely, to just say it over and over when I get into those things is something that should be taught to our children. It should be something that's our own. Um, So this is meant to be an encouragement, I think, not something bad that we are going to experience pain. But it's good to know going in (laughs) that to experience pain— to experience suffering is not, oh my goodness, I've made a mistake. Oh my goodness, I'm not meant to be. Instead, it is an opportunity to embrace it, just like Christ embraced in his cross. So Yeah, so he, he states out there at the outset, I'm going to tell you that family life ca- carries with it some of the deepest pain. And then a couple paragraphs later, he says, and this is in five, he says, But, you know, this exhortation I'm writing, it's going to present family life to you as a beautiful, noble, joy-filled life that can certainly be lived with God's grace. Absolutely. And and that, that again, is the good news, because we believe that holy matrimony, that marriage, a sacramental marriage, is a sacrament. So as a sacrament, it is meant to be a sign of some invisible realities— that are used to confer grace. So calling on the grace of the, of the sacrament is necessary to actually live this beautiful, noble, and joy-filled life, which includes suffering, which, which includes that. It doesn't exclude that. It's not that. an escape. It's not an escape from it. Right. And, and so to go through suffering, we should know going into it that's part of the deal. That's right. what I'm signing up for. Right. <laughs> and if we try to do it on our own, and any couple that tries to do it completely on their own is going to have struggle because we're not strong enough. Right. And if I can also interject on the other side, it's not Buddhism. It's not saying that all life, all existence is suffering. We're not saying that either as, as Catholic Christians. We fully acknowledge that there is great joy, that creation is, creation is good, that uh, God, you know, created the earth and saw that it was good. He created man and saw that it was very good. So we're not saying, we're not saying that either. No, absolutely we're not. saying not. that joy or happiness is an illusion either. No, and you look, and you look at even, again, I always go back because if we're meant to be a sign— and one of the signs as a married couple and a family we're meant to be is, is a sign of Christ and his relationship with his bride, the church. As he was walking on this planet, there were plenty of times his life was not all. I mean, he went to weddings. Mm-hmm. He turned water into wine so that people could have a great celebration. He, you know, you know, he had to have laughed. You know, he had to have chuckled. He had to have made comments. Well, that, some of his sayings are even jokes almost, or they're said with a humorous. Right. So he's a, he's a human. Undertone. I mean, he's, he's he a divine to eat, feast with people. He's a divine person, but he's a hundred percent human. So everything that we experience, he experienced. So he had to have great joy. He had to have joy in the work that he did. That's why I like when you watch the passion, I still to this day, one of my favorite scenes is when it flashes back and he's making that table and he's, flicks water on his, you know, his, 
his mother says, you know, what you need to wash your hands, you know, like every good mother does. And he washes his hand, then he spray, you know, he flicks water in her face, jokingly and lovingly. Mm-hmm. He's a hundred percent human while being a hundred percent divine. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't come here to say it's all cross, but he didn't come here to say that there would be no cross. In fact, he says, take up your cross right. and follow me. That's right. Um, and so, that should be something that's central, and that's why we all should have crucifixes in and around our house so that we can see that part of it. Not to, not to dwell on the cross, because that's not the only thing, but it's, it, it's not something that is avoided by simply our—that's what's wrong with the, you know, the prosperity gospel, that like if you believe—if you— only believe that everything's going to turn out the way you want it, you know, that, and if something doesn't turn out the way you want it, it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, that no, <laughs> the, the truth is, is that we're meant to take up our cross. We're meant to lose ourselves, but in losing ourselves, we actually become more ourselves. So there's all this, just like you said, it seems contradictory to say, well, if that's the greatest, how could it be the greatest source of joy or where joy comes from and a place of pain. Well, welcome to the world. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what life is. Anybody that's lived any, any period of time has experienced both of those. It's part of being human. But the good news is the suffering, the pain is not meaningless. The suffering and the pain has meaning even if we don't recognize that meaning, at a minimum, we can say we are making up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, Paul's own words, by saying, okay, you did that for me, so I am going to, with the help of your grace, individually, as a couple, as a family, going to embrace and accept this, like you accepted your cross, and trust that on the other side, there will be resurrection. And I think that life kind of ebbs and flows that way. You'll get through it, and then there'll be another cross somewhere down the line, but lots of joy in between. In fact, for most people, I think, most people I know, thankfully, more of life is joy than than the crosses. But even if it was all cross, <laughs> it would still have meaning. So anyway. Right. And he then goes on to make this really neat point about the genealogy of Jesus. Yes, I love that. A lot of people don't I'll, realize I'll that. quote it. He says, simply looking at the people, the Bible names, and the bloodline of Jesus, the difficult and fractured family situations that God used to give us our Savior, should assure all of us that he in no way sees our family situation as irredeemable. And what I especially liked about that caught my attention with that last phrase was, uh, all of our families need to be redeemed. Right. Talk about, talk about that. Well, I think, I think, you know, if you look at the, the, the people that are, that are listed in his genealogy. If you if you read the Old Testament, you'll see people who were killed, other people. You'll you'll see people who did awful things. It's all part of his genealogy. So God didn't divorce himself. So he didn't he didn't provide himself a perfect line of okay, these were all super holy people, mm-hmm. and so he knows he's eternal. He he's seen this from the beginning. And the fact that Matthew names these people, harlots, all kind—I mean, there there are all kinds of people in there. If you read if you read the Old Testament, that point us to he doesn't divorce himself from the fallenness, and he doesn't keep himself from saying, "I'm dying for sinners." It's not like he preserved. I mean, you'd like to. Th- I mean, a lot of people maybe think, "Well, he designed the Holy Family." Obviously, was holy, but. They even came, at least at a distance, from some not-so-holy people. 
Right. So and there's he, always hope. He literally, he literally takes on himself the, the brokenness of humanity by right. having that genealogy and, that he does. And so th- that the good news is, is that the God who has come to save us didn't extract himself or divorce himself or remove himself from fallen humankind. Right. I mean, he, that he united himself with, at least in bloodlines, to a certain extent, it, it, even if figuratively, obviously the Holy Spirit is who, who conceived in, in, in Mary's womb. So to some extent, theologically, he's, he's separate from that, but he does not divorce himself from his family line. It's, it's in first chapter of Matthew, it's listed. And if you go back and look, you'll see that there are plenty of people who were not holy, who were not, well, they, they weren't the best people, right. which is good news for all of us. There's no, there's no family, there's no individual that is not capable. Well, they've all been, humanity's been redeemed. They're all being offered salvation. And so no matter how bad somebody is, and church history is replete <laughs> with St. Augustine and Mary Magdalene and all these different people who had previous lives that were less than holy that became great saints after coming into contact with their Lord and Savior. So, I so think that's we're, really not, cool. we're not irredeemable. We are fallen human beings who are sinful. We have we may bring into our our families that we create um, terrible sins from our past. We may have patterns of behavior that still need to be redeemed or changed, uh, smoothed out. You know, but even with that, there is there's a new. Um, purpose and a new vision for what that family can be. And then he go, he, he kind of moves to that next and he quotes St. Pope John Paul II from his, the role of the Christian family in the modern world that he wrote in 1981. And he quotes there, the family has the mission to guard, reveal, and communicate love and so become a living reflection of and a real sharing in God's love, and I had never, um, I'd never heard that line before. And I thought what really stood out to me was, wow, the family is supposed to guard love. It's supposed to reveal love. It's supposed to communicate love. Revealing and communicating love are, I think, a little bit easier to apprehend how those function inside of a family. Guarding love was uh, that was that's maybe not so obvious a role that we think of the family taking on. But when you when you stop to ponder it, it, it really is true. And it's almost the the beginning point of, of family life. Right. And so so is I mean if you think about it, it, it's a natural extension of we're the domestic church. The church is meant to guard the deposit of faith. Well the deposit of faith begins with God is love. Mm-hmm. So guarding it is I think in today's day and age is guarding what love really means because I think there's plenty of definitions yep. out there yep. and there's an overuse of the term love mm-hmm. that you have to correct. You know, you can say I love chocolate, but that's not the same as loving your wife mm-hmm. or loving your dad or loving your children. Mm-hmm. And we have guarding it is saying, okay, you may or may not use that word, but you need to understand that that's not the same. That the love that is God is this complete, total self-gift of the entirety of ourselves, one to another, for the sake of the other, for the good of the other. And so guarding it is making sure that we understand that's what love is. Love is not a feeling. It's not something that comes and goes. It is an act of the will. That's right. And and as an act of the will, it's something that can be chosen regardless of circumstances. Uh, and and so I think guarding it, at least uh, you may have some other thoughts on that, but uh, guarding it is is guarding what love is, like saying, okay, this is what love is. When, when, when people say God is love, this is what 
he's revealed himself as, which is this eternal self-gift, and that that love is diffusive of itself. It, it, it overflows in life. It overflows to others. It's so great. Love doesn't divide. You know, I remember I have a good friend of mine who who had four who had four kids and and he was talking when when we were when we found out we were going to go from 3 to 6 when the triplets found that and he was like you know a lot of people gave me a hard time because I had four kids and the 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 natural human way of thinking was that the more kids you have the less you can love each of them <laughs> like it's divided so if you you know if you have a big family then you, you you know eight kids it's a divided by eight well no not if god's grace is living in you it it over it multiplies that is something that we need to make sure our children understand it's not something that it, there's a finite amount there may be if we rely on our own strength and our own way of thinking but it's a real sharing in god's love the end of that comment it's a real sharing in god's love well, God's love is infinite, and the extent that we allow his grace to live in and through us, the more it multiplies, the more we pour ourselves out with his grace to those who are put in our charge or who have freely chosen to be with us, our spouse, our children, whoever we come in contact with. But within the family, it's meant to be that. So guarding it's important. Revealing it is, I mean, we're meant to teach the faith to our children. We're, we're not meant to offload that on to somebody else. And the reason, it's not just teaching it. The revelation of what love is, is played out in how do we behave? How do we choose to handle this problem with this child? How do we choose to make sure that what we're doing is showing them that Everything that we do, so I, we've talked about before and other, that we as parents need to have our kids understand that when we correct them, it's for their sake. We need to point out that it's, it'd be much easier to just let them do what they want to do and pay no attention to them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people choose to do that. You need to ask them, would it be easier for me to just let you continue playing that video game for ad infinitum? <laughs> Or for me to say, you have to stop. And the battle that ensues as a result of that, it's easier to do the former. They're out of my hair. I don't care. So revealing love means that love, and and that's important down the road, love does not take the easy road. (laughs) It, It does not choose the easiest road because it's always thinking about what is best for the other. And so when we correct, I always had to check myself. Am I correcting because it's going to make it easier on me? I want to watch this football game, so you need to be quiet and not ask me for anything. That would be a selfish, non-godlike thing. But if I have to stop from watching football to correct a child and go over and sit down with them and explain to them, then I am sacrificing. It's a small sacrifice, maybe even a good thing that I'm walking away from the football game. I'm so scared. But anyway, (laughs) about what might happen with football season, but I digress. Um, But the point is, is that revealing it is not just saying this is what God's like and this is teaching him the faith. It's actually living that out and saying, am I being a good sign of the type of love that God has, which God doesn't take the easy way. The cross points us he did not take the easy way. Of all people, of all beings, of all of being itself, he could have chosen a much easier path. But he's coming to show us that the easy way is not the right way. It it is it requires sacrifice. It requires dying to oneself. It requires looking out for the other with my authority, with my, with what I have. So being active and purposeful in parenting is part of revealing God's love. 
as long as the purpose is I want their heart, as long as the purpose is I want them to be better people at the end of this. I don't want them to not ever experience pain or suffering going through life, but I want to be there and pull up alongside them when they go through that and help them to understand meaning. That's revealing love. And so that's important. And then communicating it, again, I don't. those kind of overlap a little bit. But you, you have to communicate. You have to say it. You can't just show it. You have to explain it. When you say, I love you, they need to understand what you mean by I love you. I love you doesn't go away. I mean, I, my mom used to have a great saying. She said, I, I love you always. I don't particularly like you right now. <laughs> you know, because of the way, and there's a difference. But I think even that saying from my mom pointed me to the fact that, okay, love is something that's ever present. It's something that's not going away, but there could be <laughs> some things that I don't really like what you're doing or the way you're handling it. So we have to be re- open to sharing that with them. So again, it's living the faith. I mean, that's what it is. And so in this respect, it leads right into his next comment, yep. which is from Pope Benedict Sixteenth, and he quotes Pope Benedict having said that the family is, in a certain sense, the icon of the Trinity. Um, and so that now you're going from, hey, family life, it can be a source of great joy and it can be a source of great pain and boy, it can come with all sorts of, you know, baggage and and human foibles attached to it, but it can be redeemed. It can be redeemed so much so that it's the icon of the living God. And if you stop to to ponder that, it, it is truly, um, truly amazing. Right. That, well, so that we're, we're called and given that, given that role. Well, so a couple of points. One, just simple. The article chosen is not an icon, it is the, the icon. icon. <laughs> and so the family is central to God's revelation. That's why he let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. Be fruitful and multiply. That's on page one of every Bible, okay? That, I mean, it's front and center. And so the rest of Revelation, and, and even Jesus himself and all, it talks about, it's always in terms of the bride and the bridegroom. So very important that we do it. I think it's important to point out, why is it the icon of the Trinity? Because of two things, the love between its members and the fruitfulness. So God is love and life. Every time we pray the prayer at the beginning, so God is love, this eternal self-gift, that we participate in, but that always overflows into life. It always is open to life. It is always generating life. So when we're in this culture from, you know, 10,000 foot, what's the opposite of life? Well, it's death. (laughs) So are we generating life? Are we showing the joy that is the overflowing of love between a husband and wife into lives that are out there. That's why we become, that's why we are the icon. So, and again, it I think finishes every family, your family is by its nature, a communion of love and life. Love and life go together. It's a whole nother theology of the body co- conversation, but that's, right. those, those are meant, there's not a disconnect. In fact, they do go together, love and life. But, but you, you mentioned the opposite of life is death. And, and that's where he kind of, he ends the introduction on a on a on a very you know challenging note and he talks about that the there's an enemy of god there's an enemy of the family and he goes back to this this famous um, quote from sister lucia one of the fatima visionaries that she wrote in 2005 that quote the final battle between the Lord and the kingdom of Satan will be about marriage and the family. Don't be afraid because whoever works for the sanctity of marriage and the family will always be fought against and opposed in every way. And Bishop Olmsted writes that, in fact, you have as spouses and parents the choice either to engage the challenge as an adventure 
or to abandon the field in some way. There is no escape from this choice. Not to choose is, in fact, to choose retreat. And, you know, that reminded me of Matthew chapter 10, where Christ says, and I want to find it right here, Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my heavenly Father. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my heavenly Father. And I think that this dynamic is in some ways a, a reflection, a real, a real world contemporary reflection of that, right. that dynamic. Well, I think I think a couple couple things that, as you were saying that going back because it is a battle that is meant to be an adventure and we either embrace that battle and embrace that adventure or not. And here's why it's important. Well, first off, he says, going back to Philippians, Paul says, do not be intimidated by your opponents. I mean, expect that there's going to be something going against you and do not be afraid. But I want to go back. Speaking of this, a lot of you know whether it's cancer or coronavirus or any virus at all. I think there's a line pointing to this. Why this is so central? The Christian family is considered the littlest living cell of the church. Mm-hmm. So most diseases, just from my understanding, they start with a small cell that begins. Something goes haywire, and then it begins to replicate in other ways. So if you're going to attack, and that's where he's talking about this, that it is more than a coincidence that because God from the beginning says, if I'm going to make them in their image and likeness, marriage, family, be fruitful and multiply in the image, male and female, I made them, that he knows what we all should know is that that family is husband, wife, and the children that come from it, that family is the littest living cell. So if you're going to attack something, attack the cell. If the cell goes wrong and it begins to replicate, then everything starts to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so you and I, we, all you listeners, have something. We have the antidote. (laughs) We can't just let it happen. We have to be willing to live a life that is counter to the culture that's out there. Be open to life. It doesn't mean we have to have 18 children. It just means that we have to be open to whatever God sends us. It doesn't mean that we don't have other struggles. It just means that our primary focus has got to be, we have to be images and doing our best to try to be images of this love and life, uh, the melding of those two things together. And so I think it's important as men particularly if you have sons, that's why the St. Michael, the archangel battle, you know, defend us in battle. Prayer is important. I think for families, we have to recognize this as a battle. This is not something that we're just sitting there. It's a battle that we have to look at. What are our opponents doing? We have to look, how is it impacting us and how are we going to respond? It's being purposeful, recognizing the attacks, even the subtle attacks you know, the spies, so to speak, the people that are, the, the things that are coming into our family that are maybe undermining that. That should be exciting. As a guy, you're like, okay, I want to I be in the battle. Well, guess what? If you've got a family, you're in the battle. And we need to embrace the fact that that's a struggle. But he makes a good point saying that, pointing to Ephesians 6, where he says that this Battle is not a battle among, you know, it's not a battle between Biden and Kamala and Trump and Pence. It's not, that's not the battle. The battle is between the principalities and powers. We have to recognize it for what it is, which means we have to pray. We have to recognize that God has won the war. And that's one of the encouraging things he points out here. The war is won, but we're walking through a battle. There's still battles going on, and we're part of that battle. And Embrace that. Don't just live life moment to moment. See that we're called to be in this battle fighting against death, fighting against 
a false sense of what love is, which is what this culture is. I mean, love has been turned into sexuality. Love has been turned into some minimalistic sense of what love is. Life has been turned into some sort of burden that needs to be gotten rid of because it's imposing on us. Those are the principality and powers that we're battling against, those ideas. And exactly. we, have to, we have to fight against that by living a life that people go, wait, I thought that this was supposed to be miserable being married. I thought this was supposed to be miserable having more kids or having a kid that is disabled or whatever. But anyway, um, I'm looking forward to going through the rest of this um, and seeing what he says. I've, like I said, I just went through this. But he says at the end, which I think is really important, he says, you know, despite all these challenges, despite all the stuff that's coming, he says, you know, this is not the moment for us to become discouraged or to lose heart. For that would be to forget that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So as we start to see this sin and this struggle, we should, part of our faith is grace is going to abound all the more. Grace is going to be made available to us all the more because we're living in this time. See, God's in control. He knew there's no surprises here. <laughs> this is the battle that Lucia says was coming. It's not, it wasn't unknown to him. It, if you understand what the family and marriage is meant to be, an image and an icon of God, then you have to know, of course, that's where the battle's going to be. It's hitting at the heart of who God has revealed himself as. So with all that, God bless you guys. And stay with Thank us you. for uh, yeah, well, more episodes on this. I'm excited about this. I think it'll be awesome. So anyway, always pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And yes, he will. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.